Hi, and welcome, or welcome back, to the Southside Baptist Church Podcast. You've probably heard the statement, great fences make great neighbors. Well, regardless of how you feel about that phrase, you've likely experienced the benefit of healthy boundaries in certain relationships, and the pain that comes with the lack of them in others. Join us for a sermon series exploring what the Bible teaches about boundaries. You know, what they are, how we should face them, what they teach us about God, and how we find the pleasant places he has for us inside of them. Enjoy. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased by and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one, of a, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for giving us this time that we can come and just worship freely for you, Lord, to you with no restrictions whatsoever. Lord, I pray that in all things we will just be cheerful and give back to you what you have given to us. For it is not ours, it's really yours. Please be with us as we worship and as Gary leads us in the sermon today, Lord, and just let us take in the words that you need us to hear. In this I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing our series called Boundaries, and we are looking at one particular verse that this series is based on, Psalm 16, uh, verse 6. It says this, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places Surely I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, the entire psalm speaks of this, but this verse really captures the idea that if we come to understand and know 
the boundary markers that God has for us, we can not only come to know his will for us, what we should do, how we should react, how we should live, but more importantly than that, we come to know him. That those boundary markers mark off that place where we can meet with God. And so every week we've been looking at different boundaries that we face. And and honestly, some of those boundaries can be really hard to identify. So some of those things like circumstances and situations that come up, and even circumstances that may be brought up because of uh, mistakes we've made or, or, or things that other people have done to us, but those circumstances can sometimes create boundaries in our life that God can still use. Um, sometimes it, it has to do with uh, God's, God's law, God's word. And so we try to understand God's commands for us. And ultimately, Jesus summarized it all down and made it simple and said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And so one of the big boundaries we have in life is asking ourselves the question, what does love require of me? That becomes a boundary marker that marks out that place where God has for us. And then relationships, various relationships that we have and how we live and react with the people that God places in our life, whether it's a spouse or children or coworkers or friends or family. Those are boundary markers that sometimes will point us to, to where God wants us to go and how God wants us to respond. So most of those can be sometimes tricky and hard to understand and hard to quantify. And, and so last week and this week, we're really looking at boundary markers that, that are very easy to quantify. It doesn't mean they're easy to, to, to live within, but they're easy to quantify. Last week, we looked at time. And everybody's got the same amount of time in a day, 24 hours in a day. And maybe you've got a calendar on a paper or electronic device, and you even plan out your time and how you'll spend it. But time is a boundary. This week, I want to look at another boundary marker that actually you can put on a spreadsheet, and that is money. Money as a boundary marker. Now, anybody in this room, just go ahead, I'll just go ahead and ask you, you can raise your hand. Does anybody in this room not have money as a boundary marker in your life? Like you can just spend, go, do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. I was looking around because I wanted to make sure I made note of who that, who you were. Okay, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You may be here today. You don't, you're not, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You don't even believe in Jesus, but you recognize that money and finances are a boundary in your life. And, and so one of the things that we know about money is that you can figure out how much comes in and how much goes out. It's called a budget, right? So you can quantify that. You can look and see this is what's coming in and, and this is what's going out. And the, the amount of money that comes in presents for you a boundary. And every time you spend more money than you bring in, you cross that boundary and it's called what? Debt. That's exactly right. It is called debt. So that boundary marker exists You get $100 that comes in, you spend $110, you cross that boundary marker by $10. Now, does that mean you're free to cross the boundary marker? Well, that's debatable, isn't it? Because some of us cross the boundary marker a lot. And if this is the boundary marker, we haven't just stepped over like this, like we're way over here. And we find ourselves moving further and further away from the boundary marker. But, but here's, what, here's what happens in our minds. We think, okay, we're experiencing some kind of freedom. In fact, the credit card companies even will call their card freedom cards, right? I mean, I'm not going to call out the bank by name, but they've got a freedom card. Now, what do they mean by that? They mean by that, that here's this card, and it gives you permission to cross this boundary marker and you can just be free. 
What they don't tell you is they've got a chain wrapped around your ankle, and it is anchored back here. And they're not only going to want that money back, they're going to want it back with what? Interest. Man, you guys have credit cards too. (laughs) They're going to want it back with interest. Now, here, here is why this is so important for us. Because Proverbs 22, 7 says this. The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is a slave of the lender. That when we cross this boundary marker that God places in our life, we may perceive that we are experiencing freedom, but in fact, we are becoming enslaved. I think, now now stay with me, because some of you are already to tune me out, because you're like, I'm in a Baptist church, he's a Baptist preacher, he's talking about money, I am, you know, you've already figured out everything else I'm going to say, don't be so fast. Because you need to know the Bible talks more, Jesus himself speaks more about money than he does about heaven and hell combined. Now, why does, it, why does the Bible talk so much about money? Why does Jesus speak so much about money? It's not because God needs your money. It's not because God's wanting your money from you. In fact, I don't know, I've got some pastor friends, and yeah, they're a questionable group, but I don't know one of them that like preaching about money, not one of them. Because here's the truth of why the Bible, ta- the Bible speaks so much about this, is because the Bible is basically a book about how God has come to set you free. That you were indebted and a slave to sin, and Jesus, just like we said, just like we sang, came and paid it all. It wasn't that the debt was just totally wiped out. Somebody had to pay the debt. And God himself paid the debt. Jesus came and paid the debt for you so that you could experience freedom. There is probably nothing that we do in life that more directly relates to the debt of sin and the freedom that comes from Christ than how we think about, how we act towards, and how we, how we understand money. It is a deeply spiritual and theological issue. And God is not after your money. He's after your heart. And as you understand and think about money, so goes your heart. And so talking and understanding what the Bible has to say about this is is really, really important. Now, the the passage we're going to look at that was read for us earlier is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open back up to that passage of Scripture. We're going to take a look at this. It's rather a, a long passage, but I think this passage gives us this image of the boundary markers that money presents for us, what's on the inside of it, and what's on the outside of it. And I think we can learn at least four important things that the way we think about money can present and build for us and and provide for us a boundary that will mark out the pleasant place God has in store for us. So open up to 2 Corinthians 8, and let me kind of set this up for you before we get into it and kind of say what's going on here. There are three churches that Paul is referring to in this passage. Paul was an earlier, uh, earlier Christ follower. He went all around the known world at the time, planting churches, and then he would go back and go back to those churches and kind of build them up, and he'd write letters back and forth. There was one church in Jerusalem. It was the first church. It, it was the church that started uh, where, it all, where it all began, where the resurrection occurred, and the church started there. Jerusalem had fallen on really hard times. There was persecution. There was famine. The Christians in, in the city were, were literally 
starving. I mean, there was, they, they, were, they were, didn't have resources. They couldn't, sometimes they were blocked from getting jobs because of their faith and commitment to follow Jesus. So they were really struggling. So as Paul is going around and speaking to these other churches, one of the things he's doing is he's collecting money from those churches, not to line his own wallet, but to give back to the church in Jerusalem to help them meet their needs. Well, one of the churches that he went to visit was the church of Corinth. Now, Corinth was a very rich church. They had a lot of resources. They had a lot of money. And so when he went to the church, they're like, oh, man, we are totally down with that. We are going to give some money. Let me get with my accountant, figure out how much we can get, you know, figure out what we can do, how we can shelter it, and some tax, you know, things. If they're working that out, you, Paul, we'll send some money. We're, we're on that. We can meet that need. Paul's like, great, that's fantastic. Paul moves on. He goes to another church he's, he's involved in. He, he finds out about this church called in Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is completely different than Corinth. The Macedonians are poor. I mean, they don't have anything. They are really, 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 really poor. They're experiencing persecution too. They're not much better off than the church of Jerusalem. But guess what? The Macedonians collect this offering, this huge offering. Paul is completely stunned. He get, they give it to Paul to take back to the church in Jerusalem. And Paul's thinking to himself, man, they don't have anything. And they've given all this money. And all the Christians at Corinth, who've got tons of wealth, haven't given me anything to give. But they said they would. And so in the letter that he's writing, 1 Corinthians is a letter that he's writing back, he brings this subject up. Now this is a delicate subject, because what is he trying to do? He's trying to remind them of what they've already said they would do. Have you ever been there? Like, you, you, ever, you ever had a situation where, like, somebody maybe borrowed some money from you, and they're like, I get it back to you next Monday, and four months later, you're kind of thinking... Should I say something? You know, what, what do I, I mean, this is where Paul is. He's like, do I, you know, do I say something about that or not? So he says it in the letter, and in this letter, he really gives us some important information to know about boundaries when it comes to our finances. So let's take a look at these. The first thing that he gives us, and we got a little chart that we'll put on the screen, and also on the, in your bulletin, if you're a note taker, this may help you to kind of visualize what we're talking about. The first thing that we learn is that generosity is a guardrail against greed. Generosity is a guardrail against greed. And you can kind of see that image there. Put that uh, back up. You can kind of see the boundaries that we're going to build out here and what's on the outside. So generosity is a guard against greed. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 again. So this is what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. They're the rich church, okay? He's writing to the rich church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, there, here it comes, abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, listen to this really carefully, because in this room, we've got people from all kinds of financial backgrounds. Some of you have, uh, have an abundance. Others of you, you're struggling this week to know how you're going to make ends meet. But this is the same. This is a universal principle. This is true for all of us, regardless of how much money we have in our bank account. The boundary of your generosity is not determined by the balance in your bank account but by the debt of love in your heart for Jesus. The boundary for your generosity has nothing to do with how much or how little money you have. 
It has everything to do with the abundance of love in your heart, the debt of love you feel for Jesus who paid it all on your behalf. You see, the Corinthians had a lot, but they had given nothing. The Macedonians had nothing, but somehow they managed to give a lot. Why? Because the boundary wasn't the amount of money that, was, that they possessed. It was the debt they felt for what Jesus had done for them. Now, now listen to me, because this is such a misconception. In our minds, we often associate wealth with greed and poverty with generosity or, or kindness. And stats really kind of back that up. That, that proportionally, people who are, are lower income proportionally give more of their wealth away than do the rich. It's just a fact. You can Google it. You can look at resources and find that. But that is true. But here's what is true about people who may find themselves in poverty and affliction. Those two things in and of themselves don't always make you generous. In fact, poverty and affliction often turn our attention inward and can fuel our own greed. Now, this, is, this may be sensitive, but you've known people like this. They are so consumed with their lack of money that they're actually very, very greedy. They're so consumed with what they don't have that they're really focused inward. They're so consumed with their own pain, their own need, that they really can't see the needs of other people all around them. That did not describe the Macedonian church. Because if that had described the Macedonian church, they would not have looked at the Jerusalem church and said, man, we really need to give to them. They would have looked at the Jerusalem church and said, you think you got it bad right? Come on. I mean, but this is what happens in our heart. This is why the amount of money in your bank account is not the boundary marker. The amount of money is the debt of love you have for Jesus. Because what the Macedonians understood is it is not about the fact that we don't have any money. We have an overabundance of joy and grace because we recognize what Christ has done for us. And so we're going to give money even though we may be in as bad or a worse situation as the Jerusalem church. And Paul recognized this. So the boundary, generosity, uh, becomes a guardrail against greed. Listen to what Jesus said about this in Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, do you get the idea that Jesus is really wanting you to experience the overflowing abundance that God has for you? I think he does. Look at what he says. It, it, it will come to you, it pre, good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. It will fall in your lap. Now, please don't hear me say that if you put $10 in the plate today, you're going to get a $100 check this week. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, you may put $10 in the plate today and find out you got an extra $100 you owe somebody you didn't even know about. Uh, this is not about a health wealth gospel. What this is about is the fact that the, the generosity that, that overflows in our heart is a product of, the, of our love and recognition of what it is that Christ has done for us. The second boundary that this passage shows us is that humility is a guardrail against pride. Humility is a guardrail against pride. Look with me at uh, the, next, the next few verses, uh, verses 5 through 7. Talking about the Macedonians... They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. In other words, they had submitted themselves entirely to Christ, and they had submitted themselves entirely to Paul and the needs of the church. They were putting the needs of others ahead of their own. Accordingly, we urge Titus, 
that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. What act of grace? This act of grace in providing for the need of somebody else, which is the same thing, by the way, that Jesus has done for you. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, your lo- in our love for you, see that you excel in the, the act, this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Now, there's a little bit of an undertone in this passage. You pick up on it? This is why I'm pretty sure Paul was Baptist. Or... Or whatever, you can fill in the blank with whatever denomination you think of. That Listen to what he's trying to do. There's an undertone. He's comparing the riches of the Corinthians to the poverty of the Macedonians. He's saying, you guys have it all. I mean, you excel in everything. Like, you have got it going on. But what he wants them to recognize is that in their wealth, not just in financial wealth, but in the fact that they excel in all these areas, in knowledge and in faith and all these things they've got going on, he wants them to remember that that is even more of a reason why they should be humble in the, in the midst of their obvious wealth and provision. There comes with wealth a responsibility of humility. Because here's what happens to our hearts. The more we think we possess, the more power we think we have, the more resources we think we can control, the less we think we need God. This is why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because Jesus is biased against rich people? No. Because he knows a a common problem in the human heart, and that is wealth will often result in us feeling self-sufficient. And self-sufficiency is the opposite of what is true about you. That you need Jesus for, the, for, the ultimate, uh, for, the, for your ultimate best life. <laughs> Apart from him, you can't have enough money to buy what you need. It's not going to buy you love, right? The song says so. Some of you need to Google that later. And see. <laughs> Jesus told a story about the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. And this story really is interesting because it's about this man who has an abundance of wealth. And so he builds bigger barns to store more of his wealth because he's like, look, and here, I don't, the Bible doesn't say this. This is just me, okay? So I don't know. But I'm just guessing, this guy, I I imagine he probably went to church. He probably had, you know, he probably loved the Lord. He's a good guy, right? And you know what he's probably saying to himself? Look how the Lord's just blessing me, right? Come on. God's just pouring out his blessing. I'm just going to build some bigger barns and store it all. Meanwhile, that night, he finished the barns. He goes and rests. And Jesus said he drops dead. And other people came and got all his stuff. Now, let me tell you something. That's going to happen to you, too. I'm just, I mean, it just is. Somebody else is going to own all your stuff someday. The house that you're investing so much in, the car that you care so much about, the 401k, all the, all the, all the things you collect or possess, somebody else someday is going to own that stuff. Some of it they're going to sell in a yard sale. And, and then what good was it? What good was it while you were storing it up? And so, so one of the things that we have to understand is, is that humility is a guardrail against pride. And that has to do with how we think and feel about our money. Because pride and money work together in some significant ways. Here's what it does. It it leads us to believe some lies, some myths. The myth of ownership. That somehow we own what we possess. No, 
You really don't. You just get to keep it for a little while. Now, maybe your little while's 80 or 90 years, but ultimately you will not get to keep it. The myth of ownership. The second thing is the myth of self-sufficiency. That somehow because I have enough, I don't need anybody else. I can just pay my way out of problems. I can just use my money to leverage my influence and my power, and I can get what I need. The myth of self-sufficiency and the myth of security. That somehow money has made me secure. Money has protected me. And here's what's so interesting. We all know that's not true. I mean, most of, you, most of you in here lived through 2008. Some of you lived through the stock market crash back in the 1920s, I think. Right? I mean, we know, we can see in history that that's not true. Doesn't matter how much you have, it can be gone like that. But we have this myth of security that somehow money is making us secure. I love this. Megan pointed this out to me. It's a a post on social media called The Church Curmudgeon. Listen to what it says. Our church is a mix of people who don't tithe and people who boast of their generosity. Time to separate the cheap from the gloats. (laughs) I mean, what Paul is saying here is that you don't have to be poor to be cheap. You can be rich in all your possessions and you can be cheap as well. But the other side of that equation is also, if you do have the wealth, you need to be careful that you balance it with humility, that you allow humility in your wealth to be a guardrail against pride. The the third boundary that this passage teaches us is that gratitude and contentment are a guardrail against envy. Gratitude and contentment are a guardrail against envy. Now, just interesting, it's another message for another day. But if you... If you want more contentment in your life, the recipe for greater contentment is greater is more gratitude. The more grateful you are, the more content you will be. And that's just not me saying that. The Bible says it. But the rest of the world's figuring that out too. People are writing books about it. They're writing posts about it. They're doing research projects on it. The most content people in the world are the people who are also the most grateful. So gratitude and contentment together are a guardrail against envy. Look what it says in, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This benefits you, verse 10, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desired to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You're not responsible to steward what you don't possess, but you are accountable to steward what God has entrusted to you. And you will be accountable for how you've used it. Not just your money, but your time. We talked about that last week. The relationships that you have. All of these things are boundary markers that God has for you where he is trying to direct you towards his will for your life. Look look with me over at uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Now, I don't know how the folks who do the finances here feel about this. They may not care what your attitude is about the money you give um, because they've got budgets to balance. But the truth is, if you're not cheerful about giving, I don't want you to give it. I, I, I just think God will provide for the needs of his church through the cheerful generosity of the people that he's called. 
Which is why we, we don't try to strong arm anybody or guilt anybody into giving because that's completely contrary to what the message is all about. It's about the grace of giving. It's about the hope that we find and the freedom we find as we give, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, but with a cheerful heart. Gratitude and contentment is a guardrail against envy. You see, here's what could have happened. The church of Macedonia could, they could have looked over at the church of Corinth. And they could have said, they've got so much more than we have. Yes, we recognize the church of Jerusalem has needs. But those Christians in Corinth, they're rich. Go ask the rich folks to meet the need. They never said that. They weren't jealous or envious of what the church of Corinth had. Because you know why? They were so grateful for what Jesus had done for, him, for them, they couldn't imagine anything more than that. And so their generosity overflowed, and it was a guardrail. Their contentment, their gratitude and contentment was a guardrail against envy. The fourth guardrail is this. Compassion is a guardrail against division. Compassion is a guardrail against division. Look at verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 13. Now this, this, is, this is really, really important. And it's really kind of complicated. But, but it, I think if we can understand what he is saying here, this opens our hearts and minds up to understand really the depth of the gospel in ways that maybe we haven't understood before. Listen to what he's saying here. For I do not mean that others should be eased by your burden. He's talking to the Corinthians now. He's not saying that we're going to try to burden you to make it easy on them. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should, should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that they, there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, now follow me here. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you should do this in your abundance. You should meet their need so that their abundance will meet your need. What, what is he talking Paul, what are you talking about? They don't have anything. I mean, they got nothing. They don't have food to eat. What do you mean that you want us, our abundance, to provide for their needs so that their abundance can provide for our need. What are you talking about? Well, the abundance, this is the key to the whole thing. The beautiful place that God has marked out for you within these boundaries is abundance. He talks about this when he talks about the church at Macedonia. Their abundance of joy, verse 2. Their abundance of generosity, verse 2. Their abundance in Christ, their riches in Christ, verse 9. Of the resources, in verse 14. Their abundance of need, in verse 14. The harvest, in chapter 9. Grace, in chapter 9. Good works, in chapter 9. What he's saying to them is that they have something. This church in Macedonia, the church at Jerusalem, they have something that, that you need. And the only way you're going to experience that is if you allow your abundance to provide for them. There's a concept at work here, and it's the concept of reciprocal salvation. Now, what I mean by that is this. Not that somehow your eternal salvation is dependent on what you give. But if you are working out your salvation, there is a way in which only through your service through your devotion, through your sacrifice, through your giving, that you then are able to grow in your faith. That as you give, as you serve, then something is happening inside of you. 
that you are actually experiencing a deeper level, a deeper understanding of salvation. It's like for those of you who have ever had the opportunity, the privilege of sharing your faith in Jesus with somebody else. You felt so full after you did that. (laughs) Why? Because your abundance provided for their need and their abundance of need provided for you. And this is how it works. This is consistent throughout the entire gospel. This is why Jesus said, blessed are those who give. And that if you give, it will be given back to you in great measure and abundance and overflowing of your lap. That your abundance supplies their need and their need provides for your abundance. And what he's saying here is have some compassion for the people who are around you. That compassion will be a guardrail in the church against division. See, here's the other thing that's going on. The Jerusalem church was made up primarily of Jews who had become Jesus followers. The Corinthian church, the Macedonian church, were primarily primarily Gentiles who had come to faith in Jesus. And so what is happening is the need of this church is actually drawing them together, two groups which were naturally divided from one another. Suddenly, the gospel is bringing them together. But how is it doing it? It's bringing them together by the needs that they have and as they provide the needs and supply for one another. So what do you need to do about this? Well, the first thing I think it's really important for us to understand, and it's a mindset shift when we think about our money, is understand that money is either something that controls and limits your freedom, or it is a boundary marking out where you can experience freedom. As long as you are trying to cross the line of the money God has given you to steward, you may feel like you're experiencing freedom, and in fact, you are enslaved. But what God says, if you can experience the abundance I have for you, you will live within the boundary markers I've marked out. Not trying to give what you don't have, but just recognizing God has given you exactly what what you need in order to accomplish the purpose he has for you. And that this God who has provided everything for you in Jesus will not stop or will not cease to give you what you need in your moment of need. He provides for you through his grace. He did it through Jesus and he continues to do it. The church of Macedonia understood that everything they needed, they found in Jesus Christ. And so they could give with confidence, no reluctance, because they understood that the God who had provided them salvation in Jesus would also provide and continue to meet their needs. So what do you need to do about this? A couple things, a couple simple things. And if you've been around Southside a while, you've heard me say this before, but it bears repeating. First of all, make giving, make generosity the first thing you do with your money. This is called prioritized giving. Now, here's why that's important. Because it's a statement. It's a statement about what ultimately matters to you. It's a statement about where your priorities are. But there's also another reason. Because it never fails that if generosity is the last thing you do, you don't do it at all. Because most of you, a lot of you, your budget's not much different than mine. If I waited to the end, there wouldn't be much to give. And so you prioritize your giving and you say, make giving, make generosity the very first thing you do. This is a guardrail forcing you to prioritize generosity above everything else. Because here's what God did. He prioritized his generosity toward you before everything else. And so we recognize that making it a priority is important. The second thing is this. Set a boundary around your lifestyle. Now, for some of you, that's not hard. 
Because honestly, you don't have a lot of resources. The boundary is pretty easy to see. But for others of us, we need to really sit down and think, how much does it take? What kind of a lifestyle do we, do we want to live? Do we want to just continue to grow our lifestyle? Or do we want to be able to be more generous with what God has entrusted to us? Now, this becomes a guardrail against pride, against envy. I love, uh, I love the simple formula that Dave Ramsey offers in Financial Peace University. We, we promote financial peace here. We offer it from time to time. But he gives a very simple budget. It's 10-10-80. And Dave Ramsey says, give the first 10% of your money away, save the second 10%, and set a boundary that you live off 80% of your income. Now, for some, uh, you're living off of, uh, uh, less than 80. You're, you're living off 70 or you're living off 60% of your income. But, but here, here's what I know. Some may be living at 110% of your income. And you, you feel the pressure. You feel like a slave to debt. And you need to understand that you have to set boundaries around your lifestyle. And so we want you to be able to get out of debt so that you can ultimately be more generous. Many, many of us have had this feeling where you see a need, you hear of something, and you think, oh, I wish I could do something about that. But you can't. You don't have it. But if you were to live your life in such a way that you were constantly preparing to be generous, God will expand your boundaries and allow your abundance to overflow to meet the needs of others. And here's what's interesting. Their needs will then turn back. Uh, their, their needs will become an abundance that meet the needs that you have in your own heart. And third... Grow in the grace of giving like you grow in other areas. This is progressive giving. Prioritized giving, percentage giving, progressive giving. Grow in your generosity. Some of you um, may not even know what percentage you give away. Let me just challenge you. Figure out. Give 1%. Give 2%. And let it grow from there. Some of you give 10%. You think, well, that's what the Bible demands. And so I'm going to give 10%. And, uh, and to be honest with you, um, you need to do more. You need to grow in your giving like you grow in every other area of your faith. Uh, some of you need to recognize that, that God has blessed you. Why has he blessed you? Has he blessed you to live a better lifestyle or has he blessed you so that you can be a blessing to other people? And all of this is a reminder. It points us back to the simple truth that we owed a debt we couldn't pay and Jesus paid the debt on our behalf. That he who is rich became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. And every time you exchange money, whether it's at a fast food restaurant, at your bank, whether you're paying your bills online, you should be reminded of what God has paid for your freedom in Jesus Christ and allow that to become the guardrail around your finances and how you think about money. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your generosity towards us in Jesus. Lord, I recognize and, and understand that uh, when we talk about money, sometimes it seems so disconnected from, from our hearts, and it feels very transactional. But Lord, I think it's deeply connected to our understanding our need and our own poverty, and how in our poverty, uh, Lord, you uh, lavished us with the riches of Jesus that we might experience freedom. So Lord, for those who are here today who are in financial trouble, uh, Father, I pray that rather than seeking a, an easy way out, they might press in to what you're trying to teach them about money. Lord, that they might reach out to somebody who could offer them help and offer them wise counsel and, and, and how to live within the boundary markers you've, you've set for them. Lord, for others who are living in an abundance, Lord, I, I pray that you'd protect from pride, that you'd protect from division, uh, that you'd protect from greed. Lord, that, that 
that we might even be more vigilant about setting these boundaries in our life so that we could steward well the blessings that you have entrusted to us. Lord, today, for those who are here, and regardless of how much money they have, uh, they are experiencing the bondage uh, of sin and, Lord, the debt that they can never repay. I pray, Lord, that they will receive uh, the abundance that Jesus has to offer them and that they might experience the freedom in him today. Lord, we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you during our Wednesday or Sunday gatherings here on campus. If you haven't already, please take a moment and subscribe to this podcast and download our free app by searching SSBC Jacks in the App Store or in Google Play. You can get access to our recent messages and keep up with all that's going on here at Southside. For directions, for service times, and information about our wonderful next-gen children environments, please visit us at ssbc.org.